So, Lord, I, I once again, uh, I ask you for help for me, strengthen my soul. I mean, this topic, death, the end of history, eternity, this is way over my head, Lord. This is huge. <laughs> this is just momentously big. I can't do it, Lord. I can't even come close without you really helping me. So help me and help us. We're so tied to things we see and touch and feel. And it is hard. You know, you know it's hard for us, Lord, to, to look down the road to eternity and to see what, what this is all moving towards. Would you give us a special gift of your spirit this morning to see the reality of eternity and to respond appropriately? So come and do that, Lord, we pray now. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. Well, this is week 10 of our uh, series on doctrines, passions, and practices of Mercy Hill Church. And uh, next week we're starting a brand new series. You can see what that's going to be about in your bulletin. So what I want to talk about this morning is death, the end of history, and uh, eternity. And I want to start off just with what, what is death? I mean, death is something that we all are going to face. I think we'd all agree with that. Death is out there. We tend not to want to think about death very much, but it's helpful to think about death. What is death? And as I pondered that question, I remembered a quote I had read from uh, Bertrand Russell, uh, who is a philosopher, a mathematician, uh, an atheist, and here's what he said about death. He said, there is darkness without and when I die, there will be darkness within. This is kind of bleak, okay? There's darkness without. When I die, there will be darkness within. There is no splendor, no vastness anywhere, only triviality for a moment, and then nothing. That's Bertrand Russell. Now, I think, though that deep down inside, we all know that's not true. That sense that you have inside of you intuitively, that your life means something, that it's not trivial, moving to nothingness, but your sense that your life means something is in you. You just sense that, and that's right. That is reality. That your life means something now, that your life means something forever. That sense that you have is right. And that's what the Bible says. The Bible is God's revelation to us, who we are, why we're here, who he is, what it's all about. Our creator God has given us a book. And this book says very clearly that your life is meaningful now and forever. Every human being is going to be alive forever. You have the, the gift and the responsibility and the, the weight of an eternal destiny. Okay, so if you're going to live forever, then where did death come from? That seems like a strange thing to have happen. Where did death come from? And this is just number three. I'm kind of flowing through the first page here. Death is the result of sin, the Bible teaches. You can read in Genesis chapter 3. Adam sinned, rebelled against God, as we all have in Adam. We've all sinned. And as a result of Adam's sin, Genesis chapter 3, God brought the curse upon the world. The curse. He allowed 
sin to fill the world. He allowed sickness to spread through the world. He allowed Satan to have powerful influence on the world. And he allowed death to spread throughout the world. And so that's the curse that God has brought upon the world because of our rebellion against him. We've all rebelled against him. You have this last week. And and I have this last week too. We all have. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so that's where death came from. Okay, but now even worse than death, even worse than physical death, there's spiritual death. There's the fact that because of our sin against God, we are separated from God. Our rebellion against Him and His justice means there has to be a separation between us. And so because of sin, we're now facing judgment from God, the wrath of God, the just wrath of God. We face that we're separated from the God we were created to know and to love and to depend upon. I mean, and this is just heartbreaking. You were created. You're wired so that your highest joys are found in beholding greatness. Okay? And, and God is the greatest greatness there could possibly be. And so we were created to behold greatness, to depend upon God, to rely upon God, to worship God, to behold His righteousness and His wisdom and His goodness and His love and His compassion, to have fellowship with the living God, to know His love in our hearts, to have connection with Him. But because of our sin, that was cut off. And so we are separated from God now and face His judgment forever. And that's why we face death because death is part of the curse death is part of this fallen world and it won't be defeated until the end of history but now number four when Jesus died on the cross here's the good news this is just amazing I mean don't ever get tired of hearing about the amazing thing of Jesus coming into the world okay we've all rebelled against God persistently knowingly repeatedly God justly felt wrath against us for our sin, and yet, at the same time, He cares about us. He loves us. He has compassion upon us. And what did He do? Something that is just staggering. He sent His own Son, Jesus, the God-man, born 2,000 years ago. And the reason Jesus came, one of the main reasons He came, was so that when He died on the cross, the punishment that I deserve would be put upon Him. That the wrath of God, the punishment that God justly could have, should have poured out upon me, God justly poured out upon Jesus, punished his own son in my place with the punishment that I deserve. Okay? And so the, the amazing news here is that if you're trusting Jesus, if you've repented of your sins, you've, you've bent the knee before Jesus Christ, you've received him as your Savior, you've received him as your Lord, Jesus, you're my guide, you're my Lord. I want to follow you, what you say. Savior, Lord, you've received him as your all-satisfying treasure. The one who satisfies your heart more deeply than anything else possibly could. When you trust Jesus, all the curse that you deserve was poured out upon Jesus. The punishment that you deserved is now poured out upon Jesus and satisfied in Jesus. You no longer need to be punished for any sin, past, present, future. The slate is clean. You're clothed with his righteousness. Okay? But we still face death, even as believers, because death is part of this fallen world. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Death is the last 
enemy that will be destroyed. He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Speaking of Jesus, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So it will be destroyed at the second coming. So we still face death. But what I want you to understand, if you're trusting Jesus, death is not punishment for your sin. All the punishment's been taken care of. And so one one takeaway I want you just to get hold of here is, I would guess some of you are afraid of death. Some of you who are trusting Jesus fear death. And I I want to persuade you to rethink that for three reasons. There's three reasons you don't need to fear death. One reason is because your death, the circumstances of your death, the timing of your death, exactly how your death takes place, is entirely under God's control. His loving control, His wise control, His sovereign control, all the circumstances of your death are absolutely under His control. Look at James chapter 4, verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So if your living is under the Lord wills, it obviously follows that your dying is under the Lord's will as well. So you don't need to fear death because the circumstances, the timing, the way it takes place is in the hands of your Father. All-powerful, wise, merciful, gracious. That's number one. Second reason you shouldn't fear death is because he will use death. Death will, will be the way that he brings you home. Death is the way he's going to bring you home. Okay? For me to live as Christ, to die as gain, I'm going to look at that more in a second on the next page. But see, death is the avenue, it's the door into the presence of God. And so you don't need to fear death because you know exactly where death will bring you. If, if you've repented of your sins and if you are truly trusting Jesus. And then the third reason you don't need to fear death is because he will give us grace to die whatever death he calls us to die. Look at the verse at the bottom there, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, before you turn your page over, I've talked to a couple of Christians who have, have implied that if they were trusting Jesus, that their death, I mean, if they were really trusting Jesus, their death would be easy, painless, just fall asleep, whatever. It would be a wonderful thing if God gave us that death, and he may give that death to you, but there's no guarantee in the scriptures that your death is going to be painless. And I want to tell you that straight up, because if you think that Christians have a painless death, and then if your death is not painless, that would be a tragic thing to grapple with as you're dying. Am I not a Christian? Or does God lie? Either one would be tragic to have to face. And so I just want to let you know straight up, some of us are going to die very painful deaths. Death is an enemy. It is. It's not punishment for your sins if you're trusting Jesus. And God will give you the grace to die whatever death he calls you to die. Understand that, please. But I'm just hoping, I've just, I've just said that death may be painful, but, but could it be that even hearing that in the context of God's promises, fear could lift? Because he will give you the grace to die whatever death he calls you to die. Okay, at the top of the next page, I also want to make the point in regards to death that when saved people die, we immediately enter into the presence of the Lord. We do not have to go through purgatory, okay? Because all of our sins have already been punished in Jesus. There's no more need for punishments, okay? Purgatory would be a frightening thing to have to anticipate. 
We don't need to go through purgatory. There's nothing in the Bible about purgatory. In fact, look at Luke 24, 43. Jesus is talking to the thief on the cross who maybe 20 minutes ago was cursing him and he's been saved in the last 20 minutes. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. Immediately. I mean, can you imagine what hope and peace and joy in the midst of the agony of the crucifixion the thief on the cross would have felt with Jesus to say that? So what I want you to see is that when you die, if you're trusting Jesus, immediately, immediately you go into the presence of Jesus Christ. And that is an awesome thing. Philippians 1, 10, 1. Here's how Paul describes it. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Immediate gain of Christ. Let me just unfold this a little bit. Some of you may not understand what Paul means here, because maybe, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus yet. And we're glad you're here if you're not a follower of Jesus yet. And may this morning be the morning that you become a follower of Jesus Christ. But here's how it works. All of us in this room, because of our sin, we had no interest in Jesus at all. At first. The most boring, humdrum thing to us would have been the thought of being with Jesus forever. It's like, you know, but, you know is there a cable? I mean, what, what do you do? What's, what, what happens in heaven? And so the thought of being with Jesus is like, well, okay, but what else do you do? But that was all because of our sin. We were blind to the most glorious being in the universe. We were blind to him, and we didn't care about him. But then when we were saved, see, God brought his power upon us, and it's called being born again having a new nature birthed in you. And for the first time, you see him as he is. You trust him. You love him. And if you've come to know Jesus Christ, you know what it is to be able to do, well, we've we've already read about that verse in Psalm 103, to seek the Lord, to set your heart upon Jesus, and to have him meet you with his presence so you're satisfied. To behold Jesus in his love, To behold him in his strength, in his righteousness, in his power. I mean, just think about Jesus. To behold him is all satisfying. Twice this last week, uh, two evenings, I think it was a Monday and Tuesday actually, the two nights that it was, I was burdened by something that was worrying me. I forget exactly what it was now, which is a good thing. uh, there are two things that were, were weighing on me, and both Monday and Tuesday night, around 10, 10.30, I just, I just wanted to seek the Lord and come before Jesus. And so I opened up the scriptures back at my desk and prayed. And you've experienced this if you know Jesus. I met the Lord. And his promises, and his love, and his nearness, problems didn't go away, but they were wrapped in a whole different wrapping than they'd been wrapped in before. You know? His wrapping. Strength. It's okay. Trust me. I'll give you grace. I'll either deliver you from this or equip you for this. It's going to be good. Good's coming. Anyway, I don't want to take too much time on that point, but, but the point is for followers of Jesus, to live is Christ. My highest joys are beholding Jesus Christ. 
having his love be poured into my heart, beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the joy that you were created for. Just like cars are made to run on gas, humans are made to run on the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's what it's all about. And so then Paul says, to die is gain. Because as much as we taste in this life, it's seeing through a mirror dimly. Right? We want more. It's, it's kind of fleeting. Right? It's, it's not all that we want. It's a down payment of the inheritance in this life. And in the moment you die, the inheritance was through a mirror dimly. Then it's face to face. And so that's what Paul means when he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So mercy, hill, church, don't fear death. Don't fear death. There's no reason to be afraid of death. Let that fear just lift off of you this morning. What about people who don't trust Jesus? You need to fear death. I love you. I care about you. This is a tragic thing. It's true. If you're not trusting Jesus, then you and me, all of us here, we've all rebelled against God. We all have. But tragically, if you're not trusting Jesus, then Jesus hasn't been punished for your sins. Your sins remain unpunished. Which means you need to be punished for them. God doesn't sweep any sins under the rug. They all get punished. Either in Jesus or in you. This is a tragic thing. Some people think that, well, there's a second chance after you die. The Bible never says that. Look at Hebrews 9.27, the second scripture below number 7 there. Just as it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Death, judgment. Please, please don't think, I'll decide that later. Jesus tells parable after parable that you don't know. You don't know when, it's going to, when your time is going to be up. You don't know. Some people think that after death is annihilation, nothingness. It's not what the Bible teaches. Look at Matthew twenty-five forty-six. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Same word eternal describes the punishment as the word eternal that describes life. So this is why we who follow Jesus, we, we must do everything that we can. Everything that we can to help people come to know Jesus. I mean, just feel this. If your neighbor's house was burning down, you would do whatever you could to see if they were still in it. Wouldn't you? Everything. Everything. You wouldn't care what somebody thought of you while you were screaming? Running into the house? <laughs> Who gives a rip what people think? They might be in there. You feel that? Oh. And so I just want to encourage you. If, if you're not trusting Jesus, look at him. See him. I mean, think about Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago, he came to the earth. The visible image of the invisible God. Nobody's lived like Jesus. I mean, think about Jesus seeing a widow whose only son has just died. 
funeral procession coming out of the city. She's weeping. She's alone. And he felt compassion for her, raised her son from the dead. That's Jesus. Think about Jesus healing blind Bartimaeus. See, I love how Jesus got in the face of the religious leaders and told them, you're hypocrites. Because they were. I love the story, too, of how Jesus went into the temple and took a whip, drove all the money changers out, threw the tables over with change flying everywhere because he was full of righteous indignation as to how they were dishonoring God and his temple. I love Jesus' care for the poor. I love Jesus multiplying food for the needy. I love how Jesus had compassion and wept over the city of Jerusalem. You can know Jesus. Look at him. See him for who he is. And trust him. That's the reality for people who don't trust Jesus. So that's death. Now what happens at the end of history? I'm going to go through a little more rapidly this section here. Jesus is going to bring history to a close at the second coming. He said when he was on earth, nobody knows when that's going to happen except for the Father. And he taught what was going to take place before the second coming. Jerusalem would be destroyed, A.D. 70. There would be wars, famine, earthquakes, persecution against followers of Jesus. Lawlessness will increase, and at the same time, an astonishing advance of the gospel to every nation, tongue, and tribe. So an escalation of wickedness and an escalation of the advance of the gospel, both to the end. Number two, I just got a comment here about the rapture, okay? I won't read the scripture, don't want to take a lot of time on this, but let me just say this. Um, The rapture is the idea that at the end there's a seven-year tribulation before Jesus comes back, and that Christians are taken up before the end, And uh, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. Godly people teach that, okay? My main goal is to have you study that for yourself. But I want to raise the question about it, because if you think that's what the Bible says, and it doesn't happen that way, it would be a frightening thing to be in the midst of the tribulation, thinking all the Christians are gone, I'm here, I must not be a Christian or God's lying. Right? So... I think that this passage here, for example, in 2 Thessalonians 2, makes the idea of a rapture doubtful. I think, but again, study this for yourself. That's my main goal. Do not take my word for it. You study this. I think believers are going to be through the whole tribulation, shining with the glory of God, preaching the gospel, every nation, tongue, and tribe, being persecuted, being killed, boldly witnessing for the gospel. But you study that on your own. Okay? Number three, so I think it's going to happen, my understanding of Scripture is that at the end of history, after an intense tribulation marked by terrible suffering and great advance of the gospel, Jesus will return to earth in an astonishing display of glory seen by everyone. Look at Matthew 13. In those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will be falling from heaven. This is all metaphors for God shaking the cosmos and his wrath being poured out. Powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Number four, just want to recap this briefly. So when Jesus comes back, he will bring with him all those who've died, who are trusting him. And at that moment, 
they will all receive their resurrection bodies. Resurrection bodies take place at the second coming. You die now, it's hard to know exactly what you're, you're going to be conscious, you're going to be person, you're going to be rejoicing in Jesus, it's going to be paradise, but you don't have your resurrection body yet. That's the second coming. So at the second coming, Jesus comes back, he brings those who've already died, and they immediately get their resurrection bodies. Those who are still alive on the earth during the, that last great tribulation will be, uh, they, they'll never die. And they'll receive the resurrection bodies at the same time. And the whole point of this, end of that First Thessalonians passage, we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, verse 18 there in First Thessalonians 4, encourage one another with these words. So I, I cannot get the feeling like what Paul wants is that followers of Jesus, we are constantly encouraging each other with the words, we will always be with the Lord. We will always be with the Lord. So you're facing financial problems. One thing, there's other things we could say and pray, but one thing we should say is, We'll always be with the Lord. Okay? Your marriage is rocky. You're getting nothing back. You're just called to love and love and love. Amongst other things we could say is, we're sorry, sister, but you'll always be with the Lord. What a powerful encouragement to keep pointing us towards the future. Number five, Satan and his demons will be cast into hell. This is all talking about the second coming, to be punished forever. Just want to make the point, some people think hell is kind of Satan's domain. It's kind of where he's cackling away. He's kind of in control there. Wrong. God's in control of hell. Satan's where, hell's where Satan gets punished. Satan is not the boss of hell. God's the boss of hell. Hell is where Satan gets punished. And those who don't bend the knee to, to God through Jesus. And number six, the final judgment. This is all part of the second coming. Jesus will be the judge. And let me read Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. Because I really want you to see this and feel this. In fact, I brought, I brought some books. I want to kind of illustrate this. I found some really big old books from home. Okay, this is good. All right. Big old, big old books. All right. I'll put them up here for now. I got one more. Okay. So here's the passage. Revelation 20. Then I saw a great white throne... And him who was seated on it, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. The intense glory of God, it's like everything has to flee away from him. Verse 12, I saw the dead, great and small. So you're right there. You're one of these people. Everybody, in other words, both the great and the small. Nobody buys off from this with money. You're going to be here. Standing before the throne. And books were opened. So here's these books, plural, that are opened. So that's why I've got two of these here, okay? Books were opened, plural. Then another book was opened. That's why I brought one more book here. Which is the book of life. So here's the books that are opened. And then there's the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books. The books, more than one book, okay? And the reason there's more than one book is because all of our names are in these books and all of the ways we've turned from God and rebelled against him are in these books, okay? So I could look up under, let's see, check it out, under F for Steve Fuller. Oh, my gosh. Oh, this is, okay, you don't want to read that. All right, so, all right? But see, you're in here too. We're all in here, okay? We're all in the books. Saved, unsaved, we're all in the books, and all of our rebellion against God is in this book. All right. The dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And if all that you have is 
what this book says about you, it's over. It's over. That's the point. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done in the books. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. But look at verse 15. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Here's how it works. So you you look up your name in here, and uh, there you are, there I am, and here's all the ways that I've rebelled against God. Here's yesterday, some ways I've rebelled against God. And, and this, if this is all that there is for me, I've got to be thrown into the lake of fire because of my rebellion against God. But... Let's see. F. Okay. Hold on. The suspense. (laughs) I'm not really wondering. (laughs) Right there. For the glory of Jesus. Okay. And so the way your name gets written in the book of life is one way. You see who Jesus is. And you repent of your sin. And you receive him as your savior. Jesus Christ, I receive you. Your death on the cross. I receive you as Savior. I receive you as Lord. Change my heart. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Wash me. Satisfy me with yourself. Boom. There's your name written in the book. And so I just want you to, to ponder. All of your names are written in this book. And I tell you, no matter how hard you've tried to be good, no matter how much charitable work you've done, no matter how many times you've been honest and bit your tongue or whatever, what's in these books about you is damning. What's in these books about me is damning. You will not be saved based on what's written in these books. Okay? The only way to be saved from your sins is if your name is written in this book, the book of life, because you're trusting Jesus Christ. And so I just want to, again, have you think about all the people you know whose names are in these books, but whose names are not in this book. And I would urge you to spare no effort to love them, pray for them, talk with them. Top of the next page. Okay, I'm going to kind of whip through this seven or eight. Here's the point I want to make. I'm just going to kind of rapid fire it even though all of your obedience as a follower of Jesus was a gift to you from God and was purchased for you through Jesus death on the cross it ultimately came from God you acted in it fought for it labored to it pursued it but underneath and through all that is him his grace his mercy ultimately giving it to you purchasing it for you on the cross even though that's the truth of our obedience it's ultimately a gift from god jesus is going to reward you for it he's going to reward you for his gift to you that's mercy okay look at ephesians chapter 6 verse 7 paul's word to servants rendering service with goodwill as to the lord and not to man here's what servants should do knowing that whatever good anyone does this he will receive back from the lord whether he is slave or free so, when you, at the end of your life, whether you die first, second coming, you're trusting Jesus, he's going to reward you for your labor 
of love in caring for your brothers and sisters yesterday with even more joy in himself forever. He will reward you for your earnest resisting of angry thoughts this afternoon for Jesus' sake. He'll reward you for that with more joy of him, more joy in him forever. He'll reward you for your fighting against, you know, shortchanging your boss in something this week, the temptation. Everybody's doing it. And you're going to have integrity and say, no, for Jesus' sake, he's going to reward you with it. That was a gift from him. That was purchased for you on the cross. He gave that to you. You had to fight for it, yes, but underneath it all was him giving it to you. And he's going to reward you for the gift that he gave to you with more joy in himself for eternity. So the point I want to make with number seven is that the way you live now as a follower of Jesus will impact the joy you have in Jesus forever. Okay? Number eight, when Jesus rewards our obedience, we will acknowledge that anything good in us was a gift from God, purchased through Jesus' blood, so he receives all the glory. I just think it's going to make you weep to have Jesus, the lamb that was slain, reward you for anything. Isn't this going to break you? Why are you reporting me? You're the lamb that was slain. And he's going to be absolutely determined to reward you for what he gave to you. All right. First Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive? Answer, nothing. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? We can't boast in anything good Anything good in me was blood-bought and given through Christ. Anything good in me. So I can't boast, nor should you boast in your good. Revelation 7, 9, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, all tribes, peoples, and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, palm branches in their hands, and they're crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. My salvation is attributed only to you, right? It's to you. It's to you. Glory to God, not to us, but to your name. Be the glory like we sang this morning. And you can read Ephesians 2, 4 on your own. Okay, some passions and practices. I might skip some of these and camp on one of the most important. The most important one is number one. Be sure you're trusting Jesus. Oh, church. There's so many ways people are deceived thinking that they're going to go to heaven, thinking that they're forgiven when they're not. Be sure you're trusting Jesus. Going to church doesn't count for anything if you're not trusting Jesus. Please hear that. It's so easy to fall into that. Trying to be a good person doesn't count for anything if you're not trusting Jesus. Are you trusting Jesus? Have you received him as your Savior, welcomed him? Is there a heart connection between you and the living Jesus? You know him. You love him. You've tasted of the joys of beholding his greatness, his love, his goodness, you know what it is to know and trust Jesus. You have, you have a heart experience of trusting Jesus. You know that. Do you know that? Do you know that? I raised a question a few weeks ago that I heard a pastor raise. And 
See, if you, if you trust Jesus, He is your highest joy. You will never be content without Him. So ask yourself, if heaven, if heaven was the place where you were free from all physical pain and ailments, and where all of your you know, psychological weaknesses were restored, you were perfectly whole and a balanced person, and all of your loved ones, all your friends are there, and all the possible recreations are there, and all the resources and the money or whatever you need to be able to enjoy, all those resources forever are there. So you're there perfectly healthy, perfectly whole, right? All your loved ones, endless recreation. But if Jesus wasn't there, would you be content? If so, you should think again about whether you're trusting Jesus. Because Paul says, to live is Christ. I'm not content without Jesus here. To die is gain. He's the whole purpose of everything. Do you trust Jesus? Do you know Him? Do you love Him? Do you trust Him? Please don't blow that question off. There's nothing more important. Please think about that question. Parable of the five wise virgins and the five foolish virgins. You know the story. They were all ten waiting for the bridegroom to come back. Five of them had taken no oil in preparation. Verse 12, he answered to those five who went off to buy other oil, came back late. Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Be sure you're trusting Jesus. Baptism without trusting Jesus What does that count for? Nothing. Nothing. Confirmation without trusting Jesus. What does that count for? Nothing. Being a home group leader without trusting Jesus. What does that count for? Nothing. Okay, being a pastor. What does that count for without trusting Jesus? It's nothing. Trusting Jesus. Trusting Jesus. Number two, don't waste your life on what's temporary. Live for what will last forever. The glory of Jesus Christ and the salvation of lost people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. There's three things that will last, that will count a hundred years from today. Three things you can do today that will last. Three of them. One, the love and the trust that you nurture in Jesus Christ through prayer, through the scriptures, through fellowship, through worship, through teaching. The trust in Jesus that you nurture, that will last forever. Right? Two, people who you've helped come to know Jesus, that will last forever. Right? People you've helped come to know Jesus. And three, people who know Jesus, who you've encouraged to keep trusting Jesus. That's what lasts. That's what lasts. And we've got jobs, we've got lawns to mow, we've got plumbing to fix, we've got clothes to wash, food to prepare, lots of other things that God calls us to do in pursuing those things, which are very important. But don't let anything else in this life become more important than nurturing trust in Jesus, helping people come to know Jesus, and building up those who know Jesus. Number three, spare no effort fighting sin. Let me read Mark 9. That's why I say spare no effort. Kind of a graphic illustration, but it's very powerful. If your eye 
causes you to sin. I mean, Jesus is very clear in many other passages. The heart is what causes sin metaphorically, not your physical blub-dub heart. But if your eye, just as an example, as an allegory, causes you to sin, tear it out. It is if it was your right eye that just caused you to sin, the smart move would be to rip it out. Smart, very smart move. Because it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So that's why I say spare no effort. Spare no effort. Be ruthless in fighting sin. Now, perfection is not required to enter heaven. Okay, let me just make sure you really get that. All right? Nor does fighting sin earn you heaven. I wrote this paragraph down because this is very important. But fighting sin shows that you've received the kind of faith that connects you to the one who does earn you heaven. Who earns you heaven? Who alone earns you heaven? Jesus. How do you know you're connected to the Jesus who earns you heaven? Because your faith is alive. Because you hate sin. Because you fight sin. That's how you know you're connected to the one who does earn you heaven. You can't earn heaven for yourself. You just trust the one who does, and the kind of trust that's connected is a faith that fights against sin. Number four, don't lose heart in trials. Just talking to Lisa Strauss this morning about trials. Trials only shake earthly joys. It's the only kind of joys that can be shaken by trials, earthly joys. So the way to endure and be strong in trials is to set your heart on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. And I love the picture about God the Father He will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Very individual, very compassionate. I mean, many of you, probably all of you, have wept over trials. God knows every tear. We're called to suffer with Christ. Don't ever get the idea that life between now and the second coming is supposed to be easy if you're a follower of Jesus. Not hardly. Turn your Bible right side up next time you read it. Okay, it's just not at all the case. Paul says his basic heart's emotional life is uh, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. That's Paul. That's, that's your basic 24-hour-a-day Paul heart, okay? Don't lose heart in trials. Don't lose heart in trials. He counts every tear. He will wipe away every tear. You will be rewarded with more joy in Jesus' glory for every trial you've suffered in Christ. Everyone. Number five, I just simply say, labor to encourage the faith of your brothers and sisters. Read, here's James 5. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from eternal death, obviously, is what's being talked about there, and will cover a multitude of sins. Labor to encourage the faith of your brothers and sisters. Be an active, engaged part of your home group. Number six, let the reality of eternity move you to weep and love and labor and go to people who don't know Jesus. Share the gospel with them. Urge them to trust Jesus. I love what Jesus says here in Luke 15. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners, eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Okay? Jesus, give us that heart. 
Give us that heart so we would go after the lost until we find them. This is interesting. Last week I talked about evangelism. That impacted me. This week I've been thinking about eternity. So here's what happened. To my shame, this is not what usually happens to me, but just want to tell you what happened Friday afternoon. I was walking to the creek where I walk around and pray, and there's this house about a half or two blocks from our house where the garage door was open, big party going on, all these cars parked in front of it, mostly like high school, probably college age kids in there. And as I was walking towards it, I knew, <laughs> I knew that Jesus wanted me to go and talk to them about Jesus, the whole group of them. I was thinking, oh my goodness. And to my shame, I don't think I've ever done that before, not with a group that large anyway, for sure. And I was fearless. I just knew that's what I needed to do. And so I walked up, and I, I wanted to be brief, because I didn't want to interrupt them, but I wanted to be direct and loving and humble. And I thought, oh no, the music's too loud, no one's going to be able to hear me. And I walked up, and when I got right to the garage, the music turned off. And um, <laughs> I mean, I think maybe somebody saw me coming, I don't know what it was, but I didn't unplug it, okay? Um, <laughs> And uh, I just want to be really brief. I said, I said, I think God wants me to come and, and tell you that he's real. And he cares about you. And we've all rebelled against him. And Jesus Christ is the way to have your rebellion taken care of. And I'd love to talk to you more. You know, I don't want to interrupt. And this probably seems really strange to have me stop by. I had some little cards about, you know, Jesus. And I, my email address is on them. So I, I said, here's some stuff. You want to talk to me more about it? And a couple of those things happened, and then I, I walked away. And, uh, you know, that's what I was thinking as I was leaving. Why don't I do this all the time? This was the most natural thing in the world. This was right. This was absolutely right. And I think most of them, I, I don't, I mean, I'm sure, some, I know one of them was scoffing the whole time. But um, I think it was a good thing. It was a win-win all the way around. It was a win-win. So I just want to encourage you. Spare no effort to seek people who don't know Jesus. Weep and love and labor. Get to know, share the gospel with them, and urge them to come to Jesus. I think we're in a mode where we, just, we don't really see the reality of eternity. We just don't see it. I want you to see it. I want to see it more. I want to live Friday afternoon every day. I tell you, I was exhilarated after that. I came up and said, Jan, you're going to think I've lost it. Just check this out. <laughs> she didn't. She thought, cool. It's all right. It's my wife. She's awesome. Okay. That's living. That's living with Jesus. Okay, last. And let's have the band come up now because I, this is a transition into communion. Cling to the cross with heartfelt trust in Jesus. Because it's only Jesus' blood and righteousness which saves you from God's wrath and brings you to heaven. If you are getting tired of the cross, you're either self-reliant or you're self-reproachful or you're self-righteous. One of those three. If you're tired of the cross, you're not seeing it. You're self-reliant thinking you can pull this off. Or you're self-reproachful thinking, you know, I'm just, it's hopeless for me. Or you're self-righteous thinking, I'm going to do something really good, like I was in church today, so that'll really count for something. Those are all worthless. Cling to the cross. It's only Jesus' blood and his righteousness that will save you from the wrath of God on the final day. Here's the scripture. 
Revelation 7, 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. This is all the, the massive multitude of saved people from every nation, all tribes, peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's to you, God. It's to you, Jesus, the Lamb that was slain. Our salvation owes entirely to you alone. Verse 13, Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It's only the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. It's only Jesus' blood and righteousness that will shield you from the wrath of God. There's lots I could say about God, His love, His mercy, His compassion. But at this point, I want you to feel the fact that the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. It will be here. It will be here. And the only safety is Jesus Christ. Because He took the wrath of God that sinful people like you and me deserve. He took it upon Himself. He was willing to have the Father's wrath poured out upon Him. So it wouldn't have to be poured out upon me. And so it wouldn't have to be poured out upon you. Cling to Jesus Christ right now with all your might. Ask him to give you faith. Say, I believe, help my unbelief. Or say, I don't believe, help my unbelief. He will meet you wherever you are. If you'll come to him with an earnest heart and ask him to work in your heart, he will. I want you all to leave here today clinging to Jesus, trusting Jesus Christ. So, Lord, come and move upon us now as we partake of communion. The bread, helping us to remember your broken body. The cup, helping us to remember your shed blood 2,000 years ago on the cross in Palestine. Move upon us now. Show us sin we haven't been aware of that we need to repent of and give us the gift of repentance. Show us the power of your cross to forgive any sin, especially those maybe that we struggle to think you could forgive us for, so that we can see that we're forgiven as we trust you. Let there be just a fresh wave of forgiveness, heartfelt forgiveness released upon us this morning. Help us to see that the sins that we struggle with, they've been broken, they've been killed on the cross. Sin's been put to death. So we can be powerful and confident in fighting sin tonight, tomorrow. And help us to see that we don't need to fear death. Because for us to live as Christ and to die is gain because of the cross. So work in our hearts, Lord. Move upon us now. Jesus, you came. You came to this world to die for our sins. We want to cling to you now and trust you now. So move with power upon us.